Copy, Hog Zero One. Night Owl, Hog Zero One. Friendly's in sight, target in sight, in from the south. In from the south, you are cleared on, cleared on. Wolf Hog Element, good guns, good guns. Welcome to the Pathway to Wings podcast, a podcast for those looking to become Air Force aviators and hosted by current Air Force aviators. It was just a, a crazy experience. Um, we ended up hoisting a Afghani commando that had been shot, um, unfortunately, in the head, which their chances of survivability from that are, are, are really low. But I remember that specific mission and there was a firefight going on. There was We had AC-130 whiskey gunship support that was laying down fire to, to kind of neutralize the threat that was around us. But there was a firefight going on and, and you know our job was just to remain calm and cool and collected and, and hover this helicopter and I remember just trying to remember all of my skills that I learned um, while I was uh, flying Hueys prior to going into rescue. That's the voice of my guest today, Lieutenant Colonel Annie Sunshine Driscoll. My name is Major John Waters, call sign Rain. I'm a former F-16 pilot and now an Air Force Reservist working for the Air Force Recruiting Service. Colonel Driscoll is a combat search and rescue pilot. I think you're really going to enjoy her story of how she got into the Air Force, what made her choose this path, as well as talking a little bit about her career, including the mission she was discussing in the opening. So with that being said, let's get into the podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Driscoll. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Driscoll, Sunshine, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Happy to have you on here and look forward to hearing a little about your story. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, before we get rolling into the podcast, would you give me just a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, and how you got there today? Yeah, of course. So uh, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Annie, like I said, Sunshine Driscoll. Uh, most people ask me, hey, can I call you Sunshine? And I say, yes, absolutely. It's a term of endearment. So um, I'm here in San Antonio at Joint Base uh, Randolph. I'm with Air Force Recruiting Service Debt One. I'm the commander of that. And I've been here for uh, just a couple of months now. So I came in in June and Man, I'll tell you what, I'm just kind of figuring things out and I feel like I understand the layout of the lands, um, but I love it. I had no idea what AFRS Debt One did. I had no idea what recruiting service really even did up until I, I showed up and I had no idea, but it's the best job in the Air Force. So um, I'm a HH-60 helicopter pilot by trade. Uh, I'm married to a Strike Eagle pilot and have three awesome kiddos ages five, three, and one. So our house is chaos all of the time and we don't <laughs> sleep through the night for, you know, we, we still probably have about three years before we're going to sleep through the night. So who needs sleep, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's why there's coffee. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really the, the short end of, of who I am and where I'm at right now. That's, I mean, there's a lot of unique aspects of that one, be, you know, being a pilot background, going into recruiting, you and I are very similar in that, like not understanding anything about recruiting, but then finding ourselves in there. So we could talk about that. I want to talk about your upbringing and how you got to where you are. But since you mentioned it, it's kind of unique, dual mill, being, you know, married to another military member. There are definitely some challenges that go along with that, right? Absolutely. There, are, it's crazy. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of friends um, and it's, it's more common than you'd think um, to be married. And I'd say today, even more common to have two pilots. Um, 
what makes it extremely challenging and unique for our situation is to have two different aircraft that we fly. So helicopters and strike eagles, they, um, there's not a lot of bases where they're, where they're co-located. So, um, anybody that's considering a, uh, a dual military relationship, that's definitely something to, to keep in mind. But I will say, um, I, my, job prior to this was at AFPC, so the personnel center, and I worked on the rated floor. And so um, I know how much of my job was spent fighting to keep two military folks together and how important it is to to us as um, as military members and then also to our senior leaders. And, and so um, I have to say that like I'm, I'm really impressed with the Air Force and I'm impressed with how hard uh, we'll fight to keep people together. Um, I'm the first person to say that you know, my family is my number one priority. I love serving, but my family is my number one priority. And I know that I will not be effective as a mom or as a leader if I'm not co-located with my husband. I know that we're still going to deploy. I know that we have TDYs and we both want to do those things. But uh, just having us both in the same house as a, as a centralized base uh, is super, super helpful. And uh, yeah, it's definitely challenging. But I'll tell you what, just the fact that... Uh, we speak the same language. Um, and, and then when I, when I'm trying to develop my goals and I try to develop what I want to do, the fact that I know that my husband's able to empathize with the exact situation that I'm in and what I'm trying to do and understand that in a way that somebody else might not be able to. Um, so there's, there's pros and there's cons. We are extremely busy. We know that we're going to spend time apart. Um, we know that it also is a commitment that our kids are are um, having to have just the same as we are, right? They have to be ready to accept that mom and dad could go at any minute and uh, and then also um, that we're going to be gone um, for longer points of time. But at the same time, we hope that that, you know, builds some resilient kids. Uh, so I will say that it's, it's challenging. Um, it's not insurmountable by any means. The Air Force fights to keep us together, which is great. Uh, and... But also we know that we might take um, career sacrifices in order to stay together. We can't necessarily say we have to have this, this, and this, and we both want to be the chief of staff of the Air Force exec. Like, no, we, our priority is to stay together um, and to continue to progress. And, and with that going in stance, um, every boss that I've had and every boss that my husband has had has, has been um, really happy to support that. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a lot of friends who've been you know, married to other pilots. I think that's probably your situation is one of the more challenging ones being two different airframes, which you're just not going to find those in any one base together. And I've had friends who fly the same, fly different, fly fighters, fly cargo, fly what, you know, it's a mix, but I think it comes down to is obviously if if you can make it work, there are obviously going to be sacrifices like you and your husband have made and everyone's just a little bit different. So that is a unique perspective that you bring to the table that we haven't had anyone on the podcast talk about, but I know, I mean, I've actually had people recently ask me, hey, we want to go to pilot training, both me and my wife. What does that look like? One wants to fly fighters. One wants to fly tankers. It's going to look very different than, than most people, I think. So unique perspective. Well, all that being said, let's back up kind of to the beginning. What got you hooked into aviation? What made you want to join the Air Force in the first place? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I grew up in Bozeman, Montana. Um, I was in love with all things outdoor. Um, <laughs> anything that uh, was exciting uh, was really stuff that I that I sought as as a kid, and really I would say even even the same way today. So uh, I was big into skiing, biking, hiking, fishing, you name it, uh, rock climbing, um, and I really just never turned down an opportunity for adventure. Um, 
I never had a goal of going into the military. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I honestly have just fallen into to this lifestyle. Um, it's It's been pretty amazing. Um, my brother is six years older than I am. Uh, and when I was in high school, he ended up enlisting in the Air Force um, and became a maintainer down at Hurlburt. And uh, being six years older, we it wasn't really until I was in high school that we could communicate or we really related on a lot of things just because of that, that age gap. But I remember talking to him, um, when, you know, when I was like a freshman and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, that's cool that you get to live in Florida, but I just, you know, I didn't really conceptualize, conceptualize anything beyond that. Uh, but as I started to get into my junior year and my senior year, my brother was talking to me about like, what's, what's the plan here? Like, what are you planning on doing? Um, and I didn't really have a great answer. I knew that I wanted to go to school. Uh, I had, you know, was bouncing around from every major possible, right? Like super non-committal. <laughs> um, and uh, at the time, I also had a, a high school teacher who was um, who really pushed me hard when it came to math and calculus because I would say I was starting to get lazy. Um, most things had come pretty easily, and. I found myself in a pre-calc course and it was the first time that I had real, I was really challenged to learn. And he was awesome because when I was kind of like, ah, uh, this is annoying. Like, I don't know that I want to do this. Um, cause I, at the same time was doing sports and, and a lot of different things, he wouldn't let me quit. And so he was like, absolutely not. And, and, uh, and really pushed me hard. Um, and really he frustrated me to a level that I was like, okay, I can't let him win. And so I had to like put my head down and learn how to learn. I'm using air quotes here. And, <laughs> and that skill, I will say, um, finding that stubbornness inside myself when it comes to learning something and also just learning not to quit was was huge. Um, and at that same time, my brother was talking to me about, hey, you know, there's this thing called the Air Force uh, and there's this thing called ROTC. And he's like, it's crazy. You can apply for a scholarship and you can do it for one year. You have to give up like an hour or so of your week and you're going to go to this little leadership lab and you're going to like march around in a square and talk to people. Um, but that's it. And you get a free year of school and you can go anywhere in the country that you want. And I was like, well, uh, and he just kind of kept harassing me about it. And I just took more than anything to get him off my back. I applied um, and I ended up using that specific teacher for my um, for my letter of reference for my application. and hearing his lens of what it meant to serve, uh, what it meant to serve your country and the, the skill that I had learned about like not quitting and putting your head down when the, when the going gets tough, I was like, Oh dang, I can do this. Like, that's yeah. awesome. And so, um, just even reading that letter of recommendation was hearing somebody else talk about me in a light that I had never thought of myself. And so that was pretty cool. Um, I ended up going to ROTC and at Montana state university, I decided to study engineering again because I found that um, I, I wasn't awful at math. <laughs> and uh, and then I also studied biology. I wanted to um, get into medical school. I wanted to potentially uh, design prosthetics. I had had all the passions. None wow. of them yeah. involved aviation, though. <laughs> yeah, that's 180 degrees out. It is. It is. And I had a ROTC commander while I was in ROTC that um, pointed me towards aviation and gave me an opportunity, connected me with some folks um, in the Dallians that gave me an opportunity to fly around um, in Montana. And I'll tell you what, the first time that I got in that aircraft, not thinking that it was anything more than just me on a Saturday outing to go do something uh, unique, 
uh, I got to fly around in the mountains of Montana where I hiked every day and, and, you know, went rock climbing and went skiing and, and fly around in those thermals. And it was quiet and peaceful. It was exciting. You know, my adrenaline was up and it was just this whole uh, serene existence that I had no idea was there. Um, so I, that kind of hooked me in aviation um, and really got me thinking about pilot training from that point forward. That's why I always try to find parallels between you know, me and the guests, and obviously we're, we're in the Air Force, we have a lot of parallels, but the uh, high school calculus teacher, very similar, although I don't think my high school calculus teacher would write me a recommendation. So <laughs> she was motivating, but it was my arch nemesis. So I made it, I made it through, but it's funny how, you know, people who have no desire to fly, and I saw this in ROTC, like I wanted, like I knew at a very young age, I wanted to fly. Um, and that was my whole goal. But Showing up in ROTC, there were a lot of people, I wouldn't say a lot, about half the class had no desire or like, it just kind of like, ah, this is kind of a, I'm going to try it out type mentality, which was interesting to me, but it's funny now to see 15, 20 years later, everyone who thought like, ah, I'm going to go do ROTC and I'm going to go be a doctor or go be an engineer who got pilot slots and are just excelling in the aviation world. You know, it's just funny to see that. So it's kind of cool. Absolutely. My husband, I mean, he literally came out of the womb wanting to be a pilot, knowing that he wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And so our, um, you know, our motivations and how we got to where we are couldn't be any different. Um, but I will say it's worth pointing out that uh, we're in the same place. We're both lieutenant colonels in the Air Force. We both love what we're doing. We both get a fly. And so there's no right answer. You don't have to know from the second that you um, are signing on the line saying, I'm going to the Air Force or, you know, going into a commissioning source that that this is what you're going to do and that um, there's different paths for every single person out there. Yeah, that's what's really cool. And again, there's like, there's no right answer. There's no one common path. And I think that's something really to hammer home to people because there is no cookie cutter answer. So everyone is unique and different individuals. And that's kind of what makes us a great team. Absolutely. So going through college and ROTC, were there, did you face any kind of hurdles or is there a big adjustment going from ROTC to being a commissioned officer or was it just kind of smooth sailing for you? Surprisingly smooth, to be honest. Like I, I can't say that I had that many hurdles. Um, I, like I said, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I will say, I, you know, I almost self-defeated in so many ways because uh, everybody wants to be able to script out what things look like and what opportunities are going to be there for them and what they're going to be good at. <clears throat> and, uh, I would say that was probably like the, the thing that was hardest for me is not knowing what that end looked like. Um, and being able to understand the difference between a goal and having a dream versus knowing what was going to happen and not letting, um, not letting that stress of the unknown, like defeat you. So, uh, th I would say that that was probably my biggest hurdle is, um, is wondering if, you know, not necessarily believing in myself to know that if I have this goal, um, that I can just get there. And honestly, I spent, um, I spent a lot of time just wondering, can't, you know, I know that I'm, this sounds really cool, but can I do it? And, and really worrying so much about the future that like, I wasn't focusing on exactly what I was doing in the present. So, um, just learning to trust yourself in the now that like, put your head down, uh, take time to smell the roses, enjoy things around you and <laughs> right. stop worrying about the future. <laughs> Sage advice. I think that's one of the things, especially going to the military, there's gonna be just a ton of unknowns constantly, whether from just like day-to-day -day activities to what does your future job hold? So. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'd say that 
Um, that's not a true hurdle per se. It was self it was self-imposed, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, but that, that was something that, uh, I would say, you know, I struggled with, um, through all the way through, you know, commissioning, um, and getting through pilot training, but, uh, I didn't have a lot of hurdles. Um, so I just kind of, um, I kind of found my path. I, I didn't have like a clear defined path in the second that I showed up. And so I just had to navigate the waters and then trust that, uh, I would be able to do it. And, um, when I got there that, uh, that I'd able, I was able to just continue to, to reach even higher, um, higher levels of success, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, from, from there. So, yeah, ROTC, I would say that, you know, the biggest thing that I found when I got there was um, being into sports growing up is that there was such a high level of camaraderie and competition, but it was healthy competition. It wasn't like stab your, you know, stab your brother in the back kind of competition. It was like um, competition for the sake of making everybody better. Uh, and that is one of the things that I love about the Air Force, I would say as a whole, is that everybody is super competitive because we all want to be the best that we can be. Um, but realizing that those people around you are there to make you stronger and it's iron, like making iron stronger. So that's, that's just such a cool um, aspect about the military um, and learning how to embrace that. I didn't, um, but yeah, honestly, I didn't have that big of uh, hurdles to, to overcome, especially in, you know, the job that I'm in now, when I learn about um, the real struggles that were out there that people overcame, yeah. my self-imposed ones were, you know, <laughs> in comparison where, were nothing to, uh, Nothing that makes a crazy story. You're, everyone's usually looking at, you know, foot in front of your face or three feet out, right? So uh, what might seem insignificant for your story compared to someone else, vice versa, like that's still something you're dealing with. And nonetheless, you have to deal with it and you have to push forward and get over it. So, or you don't, and then that's not a good thing. So again, it's, <laughs> it's pushing forward and, you know, you know, overcoming the hurdles and things like that and relying on other people to help you out if need be. Absolutely. So, uh, ROTC into the air force. And this is something unique. Obviously you get a pilot slot, but I'm curious cause I spent one year at a rescue squadron waiting to go to pilot training. Did you have any exposure to the helicopter world or what made you want to go the helicopter route and the rescue route? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's, it's amazing how just one conversation with one person can change the entire like course of your life. So uh, when I was competing for a pilot slot, when I decided, Hey, you know what? Uh, I think I want to, um, I think I might try to fly. And, and I decided to put my name in the hat for, for pilot slots. Um, I had an opportunity to talk to a really good family friend. I call him an uncle, um, but we're not related by blood. Um, but he and my dad, uh, grew up, uh, you know, basically in the same house. They, they live so close. Um, but he had uh, gone to Vietnam um, as a warrant officer, and he was a, helico a helicopter pilot um, in Vietnam, and he had done rescue primarily on the Huey um, back in that day. Uh, so he had done that, and then when he was complete with Vietnam, he finished out his degree and ended up commissioning into the Navy and then became a fighter pilot in the Navy and then uh, a test pilot. And so you know, I really only knew the end portion of his story and I had an opportunity to sit down and have dinner with him. Um, and I told him I was thinking about flying and he was so excited for me, you know, he was. And so, um, we just talked about life and I asked him like, you know what, I need to know what I'm going to try to fly. Like, you know, again, me worrying about 20 steps down the road, but just before <laughs> I even had a pilot slot trying to script out exactly what I was going to fly. Um, and he was like, Annie, Annie, you have to calm down. Uh, and he's like, you know, and I expected that he was going to tell me that I needed to get into a fighter jet because he had 
a chance to fly basically every platform in the Navy, every platform in the Air Force, even um, because of his his test pilot background. And I thought he was going to say like, okay, number one, you want to be in an F-18. If you can't do that, you got to be in an F-14. Okay, so now you're going into the Air Force. That's your first step where you're wrong. <laughs> now you need to try to fly and, you know, script that out. But he was like, no, 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 you're um, number one, you're choosing to serve your country. That's amazing. You know, whatever service you go do. Number two, you need to find a mission that you believe in. And he says, you know, after all of his time flying, he had time to fly all those fighter platforms, land on boats, do all these cool things, um, lots of deployments. But he looks back at his time um, in Vietnam where he was able to like reach out and save um, to save folks and to save his fellow brethren uh, that were having the worst day of their life. Um, and he's like, you know, if I could pick one mission that I had to go back and redo today, that would be it. Having that opportunity to, to save folks on the battlefield. And so um, and he knew me. He knew uh, how passionate I was and how, um, just, you know, my, my love, uh, for mankind and wanting to help. And he was like, knew that that was a mission that would probably, you know, strike my heartstrings and, and it did. So, um, ultimately he gave me the fantastic advice of stop chasing an aircraft, chase a mission, find something that you believe in. And even when the going gets tough and you have to deploy and you have to leave your family, you know, what you're doing is important and why you're doing it. And, and it really makes it all worth it. I've had a lot of young people ask me or are in pilot training. Hey, what, like, should I go fly a fighter? Or should I not? That advice with what he had, it's like, that's the way I approached it. Cause I did have classmates who went like, I want to go fly this plane based on location, which I, you know, not knocking them one, the lo- the base could close or something. So, or you not get it. So that's it. But picking where you want to fly based on location, not knocking you. But I think at the core, finding something that you have a passion about, and drive to go out do, you'll find a lot more happiness. And there might not be all the sexy locations that that plane is in, but if you're there, I guarantee the mission will get be rewarding. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I would say that, you know, because it's not always uh, roses, right? I, I love my time in rescue. It's amazing. And I've loved flying helicopters. I've loved really every assignment that I've had in the Air Force, not knowing that I was going to love it for the reasons that I did. But um, it's not always roses and sometimes it's tough, but knowing that you're out there for, um, for a cause that really matters, um, it makes the time worthwhile. With that, any like really stand out great memories or really bad memories from that? You know, there's times being frustrated. Um, like when you're, when you're really young, you really just want to get out there and do the J-O-B, right? And so I remember being my first, uh, my first deployment in Afghanistan, it started off being pretty quiet. And I remember being like, man, frustrated. And, and like, you know, if somebody on the other team would get a, uh, on the other, the other, because basically you split every day by 12 hours. So the other shift, if they would get a mission, you're like, oh man, I wish that would have been me, which is so silly. And the, then it was like a matter of um, being able to recognize that when it's quiet, that's a good thing. That means that, you know, our feather, our fellow uh, man are not getting, that are not getting hurt. And so that is a good thing. Um, and, and that was, that's awesome. But I've had some, you know, some really wonderful experiences. Um, I've had some challenging ones. Rescue is an emotional ro- roller coaster in the fact that uh, when you are out doing the mission, um, again, it means that somebody is hurt. It means that somebody's life is in danger. Um, and so, and, and they don't know if they're going to come home, especially now becoming a parent, knowing that that is somebody's daughter, that's somebody's son, and they could potentially have their own children out there. Just knowing that life is so fragile, it makes it really difficult. Um, and so, 
you know, I still, I mean, for the, for the rest of my life, I'm going to remember my very first rescue mission, you know, down to, down to the second, it was only about like six and a half minutes long total from the time that we launched, uh, from the time that we were back on station, um, in a small little fob out in Afghanistan. Um, but I remember every second of it vividly to the point where it feels like it was like a full movie, you know? Um, and, uh, it was just a, a crazy experience. Um, we ended up hoisting, uh, a Afghani commando that had been shot, um, unfortunately in the head, which their, uh, chances of survivability from that are, are, are really low. Um, but I remember that specific mission and there was a firefight going on. There was, we had AC 130 whiskey, um, uh, gunship support that was laying down fire to, to kind of neutralize the threat that was around us. Uh, but there was a firefight going on and, and, you know, our job was just to remain calm and cool and collected and, and hover this helicopter. And I remember just trying to remember all of my skills that I learned, um, while I was, uh, flying Hueys prior to going into rescue and, just trying to hold that hover and listen to the team. But I remember looking out and I'm we're over the top of a village and seeing a lady who is standing in her courtyard. She has, she's holding a, the lid to a pot over the top of her dinner while she's still trying to stir it. Um, and just kind of looking up and watching this whole thing go down, knowing that I can hear gunfire going on. I know what's going on. Uh, I can still see all the movement and she's just sitting there making dinner. And it was just this crazy realization that like, Although this was such a uh, a moment in time for my life that was like, you know, I guess change worthy. That might be the wrong word. It was a moment in time in my life that uh, was all about me in that moment and all about the mission that I was supporting. This was just another day in her life, knowing that people were living that way. And it it just, I don't know that that's that being able to look at her and she was looking at me was like. And we were close enough and knowing that she's just doing the best she can. It just, it changed the way that I looked at, at mankind. I know that sounds silly, but uh, I I just remember that. And then we got this, uh, this Afghani um, commando, we got him up into the aircraft and we're able to to blast off uh, to the fob that we were at. They had a small hospital. And unfortunately, like we went through all of that, you know, we risked our lives. We risked lives of those around us. We left, you know, risked the life of, honestly, that woman who was there just trying to make her dinner, uh, we got him to the hospital and he passed and just dealing with the emotional repercussions of that were, it was crazy. But then knowing that, um, that's what rescue is. And that like, in my mind, that was like, wow, there's so much to process with all that. But we, you know, we turned around again and went on another mission within, you know, within an hour. So, uh, it's crazy. And, and, uh, it's to me, it was so humbling, um, to have an opportunity to be a part of that. Um, but at the same time, just like to be able to take just, you know, a couple of minutes at the time and hours later, and now it's been like a lifetime, you know, just thinking about that one formable mission, knowing that there are so many that happen like that every single day. Um, it's just crazy that everybody has these incredible life experiences and life challenges that are going on, um, every single day. It's, it's bizarre. That's a wild story. I would obviously it'd be awesome just to talk more about that. I think, um, yeah, for, for me, yeah, that mission aspect of it and everything you, you trained to was right there encapsulated in just a, a few minutes. Right. But it's a, it's yeah. a lifetime of, of memories that are just etched in stone. Yeah, I know there is a really cool episode that national geographic did about rescue, like four or five part series out there, uh, which is awesome. It's really cool to, I guess I, for me, it's really cool to see, 
guys that I was a casual lieutenant with flying around and going out there on missions and hearing your, I mean, I know you have a lot of stories that go along with that, but um, it's just a phenomenal thing. But again, you found a passion and something you're dedicated about. And I would say you're probably pretty happy with that, I guess. Super happy. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't take anything back. I mean, for all the times that it's been, it's been hard for all the time that you're away from family, um, all the challenges that come with it, it's, it's worth every second of it. And kind of on that note, you know, it ties into if, you know, if you found 15 year old sunshine out there, would you tell her to do something different to, to change anything or go after not, it? Not at all. You know, I, um, man, I feel like my destination has been built by my journey, <laughs> um, which seems kind of obvious, but at the same time, just recognizing that, um, that I just need to actually, no, I take it back. Uh, I would tell, I would tell a 15 year old sunshine and really I'd tell just about any, anybody, these two things, one, you need to, you need to trust yourself and you need to know that when given a challenge, whether it be, um, you know, to rise up to some specific, uh, opportunity or hurdle that's coming up that you can do it. Um, and, and not to worry about what the end looks like, but again, just to focus on the present and put your head down and know that you can, that you can rise up to it. And then the other part is in, in making decisions. It's so easy to get um, concerned and worried about what's going to happen down the road. But if you can uh, just trust yourself that you're going to make the best decision for yourself at that time with whatever information you have at that, at that point to make the decision. And then the last piece that I will say, this is just advice for, for anybody. And I give this to, um, to anybody when I have the opportunity is take the time to be thankful. Um, and to realize that, man, we all have, uh, we all have ups, we all have downs. We have times that are easy and times that are hard, but every single day we have something that we can be thankful for or somebody that we can be thankful for. And, and when I put my head down at night, a lot of times I, or really every night, I like to, to think about like, you know, what happened that day, what I have to be thankful for and to let that like feeling of gratitude just kind of sit while you fall asleep you wake up the next day and it's it's easy just to kind of have that calm peaceful feeling um but you'll you'll find people and things that resonate throughout your life so when you are in the thick of something that's difficult and when you're in the middle of a challenge when you're in that hard portion of life um it can kind of help define the things that um are going to help you climb out of it later on so um if you can just take a moment to know that we have so much to be thankful for um I think that's a, just a really good way to live your life. That's awesome. And I think a great way to end the podcast, incredibly sage advice, Lieutenant Colonel Annie Sunshine Driscoll. Thank you again for joining me on the podcast. I know people are really going to enjoy hearing your story. Hey, thanks, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathway to Wings podcast. We have lots more in store. We'll be back in two weeks. Wherever you're listening, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode and leave us a rating review over on iTunes. That will help us out.